And welcome to the RAW podcast at Manchester Metropolitan University. This series will explore the Anthony Burgess cassette archive. Anthony Burgess was born in Manchester in 1917. He published more than 50 books, including A Clockwork Orange and Earthly Powers, and he composed around 250 musical works. His wife, Liana, carried a cassette recorder at all times to capture her life with the author and their son. The archive now contains these intimate recordings and has been remixed by 23 artists in a new project which provides unique insight into Burgess. Find out more about the project at subrosa.net. Stick around for the whole episode series to find out more about Anthony Burgess from Andrew Biswell, director of the Foundation, the most unusual things in the archive from Anna Edwards, the Foundation's archivist, how the project came about from Alan Dunn, artist and producer, and how Scanner, aka Robin Rimbo, worked with the archival material. We'll also get to hear some of the archive recordings and adaptations too. So stay tuned. In this episode, Matt Foley interviews Anna Edwards about the archive and some of the stranger things in the collection. Hi, I'm Anna and I'm an archivist for the International Anthony Burgess Foundation in Manchester. So let's get into our second episode. Over to you, Matt. Well, we're very pleased to be joined by Anna Edwards. I imagine with the varied life that Burgess lived, he lived across different countries and wrote so so much work. You must have a really extensive archival collection there. Can you tell us a little bit about the scope of the collection? Yeah, I guess it's a library and archive that um, relates to Anthony Burgess and his life and work. And it was donated to the foundation by Burgess's widow, Liana, um, when she established the foundation in about 2003. When I say Burgess's widow, I mean, she's also his literary sort of translator. She's his agent for a time. Mm. She's his supporter and champion, really, in in so Mm. many ways. And Mm. the collection really is the contents of three of their homes. So a house in Rocciano, in London and in Monaco. So it's not only, if you like, Burgess's personal literary and business papers. It's also, we've got a library of his books and we've also got furniture and musical instruments and, you know, ornaments and other objects from the homes. And what I think it offers you really is this unique insight into Burgess's personal and his professional life. Um, So you get, I think, the opportunity to, I guess, engage with the man beyond the public persona. And often, Mm -hmm. particularly with the audio collection, you know, it's, engaging with him in his own voice. And can you tell us a little bit more about this specific Anthony Burgess on tape collection? What do they tell us about the man in his life? The audio sort of collection as a whole, to give you a sense of its scope, um, there's about 1,090-odd audio cassettes, um, 80 or so reel-to-reel tapes, and over 600 vinyl records that belong to Burgess and his wife, Liana, and their son, Paola Andrea. So you've got this sense of this mix of commercial broadcast recordings, I guess, of, of music and um, literature, drama and, and interviews that was owned by mm. the family. So I guess that reflects Burgess's own sort of tastes and interests. You've got mm. home recordings. So that's, you know, Burgess in conversation with Liane. You've got him practising musical instruments. You've got his son, Paolo Andrea, kind of playing with friends. You've got mm. recordings kind of off the balcony of, of their home in, in Monaco. It's a really interesting and, and sort of diverse mm. collection, really. How have you been involved in the conversations with Anthony Burgess Archive? 
project. Can you say a little bit about your, your role in that project? The spark of that project really came out of conversations between Andrew Biswell and, mm. and, and Alan Dunn and, and really kind of developed and grew from there. And for me, I mean, I was able to help really with, with navigating the collection. And then what Alan was able to do was to, I think, uh, sort of select really a, a batch of material, which really, I think, reflected the archive as a whole um, mm. and was able to deliver that to the artists to work with. Mm. I'm interested about this idea of, of the Burgess at home versus the kind of public persona. And, and do you think there's definitely a disjuncture there between one and the other? I think there's a sense, I guess, sometimes that he was conscious that he was being recorded but then I think there's also him you know just sort of relaxed at home I think Liana was very conscious she, she liked I think you know documenting their lives. Did both of them you think have a sense that his body of work would be archived? I don't think Burgess would have thought about it that much I don't get the sense that he was consciously thinking this is going to be archived and this is going to be kept in the, in the future if you like. Liana I'm not sure she had in mind at the time but I think she just had a general interest in kind of documenting the, you know, their lives I think she had a sense like I think she really believed in the value and the importance of this work so we've got these manuscripts that look like they've been torn and put in the bin and then they've been kind of come out and I think she had a sense that this work is what you're doing is yeah. valuable. I was wondering you know what, what you think the most unusual objects are that the archive holds? I guess one of the most Unexpected items maybe is the death mask of Burgess. It was made by a sculptor called Michael Wade. It was at Liana's request and he'd actually he'd made a, a cast of Burgess's hands and um, the, the death mask. And I think at the time Liana was actually unable to accept that death mask. It was too much mm. for her. But fortunately, Michael kind of kept it in his studio and he donated it to us on, on a lighter note. We've got a sketch from Franco Zeffirelli that he gave to Burgess's son, Paolo Andrea or, or Andrew. And it's a, it's a recipe for some sort of Easter cake. And then there's the drawing of the cake, which is looks mm. like a bird's nest or a crown of thorns, I guess. But because it's the contents of the homes, there's, you know, there's smoking paraphernalia, there's, there's, there's crockery, there's the serving ware, you know, there's hand-drawn tarot cards that Burgess has made. You know, it's, it's a, a real mix of material. One of the most, I guess, moving items for me really is this, there's a photograph of Burgess with his um, mother, Elizabeth, and uh, sister Muriel. And that's taken about in 1918. So he's just a baby really on his mum's knee. And that's the only surviving picture that we have of Burgess with his um, his mum and, and his sister because mm. they died in the Wenzel epidemic shortly after the photograph was taken. The loss of his mother had such an effect on obviously his life and his work and so I think you know for me that that photograph I think is one of the most moving items I think in the collection. Mm. That's that's absolutely fa- fascinating and it sounds like a you know a really wonderful and profound object and what would be the best way to get in touch with the archive and to begin to engage with the materials there? Obviously, contact me by um, email. So that's just Anna at anthonyburgess.org. But you can also look at our website. There's lots of kind of um, interesting resources on there. There's a really good Object of the Week series on there, which is 50 or so items there. And, and that's sort of taking a whole range of items from the collection. Actually, at the moment, we've got a Anthony Burgess on tape audio exhibition. And the content in that collection is mainly collected by Liana. And so there's yeah, Burgess on The Clockwork Orange, you know, on his novels, on Shakespeare, on his early life in Manchester. Um, you've got him sort of playing piano. You've got him at home with Liana. So I think there'd be something for everyone there. Well, I look forward to seeing how the, the archive grows, Anna. Thank you very much for your time.
Not at all. Thanks. Anna mentioned there that Liana was also Burgess's agent. Let's finish off the episode by listening to a clip of Liana discussing the translation of On Going to Bed, a Burgess novel from 1988. Summing up then, two letters. One dealing with the translation, the translation of uh, earthly powers and the other one dealing with the On Going to Bed and the problem of... Uh, who, was, who is going to translate the book in the different languages. For the French, it's very simple. I've already have left copy of the text with Georges Belmont in Paris. For the Italian, according to a cable I've received, Pauline is doing the Italian version. For the Japanese, I've suggested if she accepts Lady Nobuko, Lady Aubrey, for the German, I'm waiting to hear the results about classing. As to the Spanish, I don't know. And for the Portuguese, I should uh, find somewhere, yes, in the, in the Portuguese edition of uh, The Man from Nazareth, the name of the person who translated the book for Nova Frontera. Norwegian, we have a Norwegian translator, and I'm going to have the Swedish translator very soon. Thanks for listening. In our next episode, Matt will speak to Alan Dunn about the project's origins and outcomes. We'll also get to hear some of the launch events, including a section from Reverend Max Ripple's performance and from David Birchall's performance too. All of our previous episodes are available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Tune back in soon for more episodes. This episode of the RAW podcast was presented by Matt Foley, presented, produced and edited by Lucy Simpson and mixed by Julian Holloway.